Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in Psychedelic Salon 2.0. And I think that it may be time once again to remind you about the Psychedelic Salon magazine that I publish on Flipboard. I'll put a link to it in today's program notes, which you can find at psychedelicsalon.com. But here are a few headlines from the almost 3,000 stories that I've already posted there. And I quote these headlines... The 10 Biggest Companies That Spare Their Employees The Humiliation of Drug Testing What If Legal Pot Costs More Than Black Market Pot? The 7 Worst States in the Union To Get Caught With Cannabis Marijuana Is Now A Driving Engine Of The American Economy Three Years After Legalizing Pot, Colorado Has The Lowest Unemployment Rate In America a marijuana drive-thru could be coming to a corner near you. How to choose a weed vape pen. The six least marijuana-friendly colleges in America. And the essential guide for the first-time cannabis tourist. As I said, there are now almost 3,000 stories about psychedelics and cannabis that I've posted in that magazine over the years. And if you're a student who's looking for a quick source of interesting information for a paper you're writing, well, this may be a good place for you to begin. And now I'm going to turn the microphone over to Lex Pelger, who will introduce today's podcast. I'm Lex Pelger, and this is the Psychedelic Salon 2.0. Today we hear from the founder of iSeers, Benjamin Delonen. Eight years ago, he decided to start the International Center for Ethnobotanical Education, Research, and Service. He already had done important work in the field by making his master's thesis film, called Ibogaine, Rite of Passage. As he became an advocate for plant medicines, he saw the need for education, as well as a defense for those practicing with the plants. So now you can go to iSeers.org for a large collection of research on ayahuasca and ibogaine, as well as information about integration and support around psychedelic journeys. In fact, the reason I reached out to talk to Ben now about his organization was because they recently released a technical guide on ayahuasca that is an excellent breakdown of the peer-reviewed science. And I'll link to that in the episode notes. They also have a thorough good practice guide for ayahuasca, that'd be worth the time of any seeker, and I'll link to that too. As well, they just released the videos from their AYA 2016 conference that you can view on their website. At iSeers, as you'll hear, they defend any practitioner caught up in the legal battles of the war on drugs. iSeers is doing important work, and I appreciate Ben taking the time to talk to us today. I do wish that the audio quality was better, but with him being in Spain, the remote audio didn't work quite as well as normal. But so it goes. Please enjoy this talk with Benjamin Delonen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Psychedelic Salon 2.0. And I am here with Benjamin Delonen of ICERS and the Ayahuasca Defense Fund. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Lex. And so before we dive into the that really impressive and helpful report that you uh, put out. Can you tell us a little bit about ICERS and what the Ayahuasca Defense Fund does? 
Yeah, iSeries is a, a nonprofit organization, a charitable nonprofit organization, and we basically uh, focus on you know building a world where psychedelic plant practices are valued and integrated parts of society. Uh, and we do that through, on one hand, uh, scientific research. We want to advance scientific knowledge uh, about this, the use of these plants. Um, we also, you know, do a, a lot of education about, you know, what are the risks, what are the, the potential benefits, how can you minimize risks, maximize benefits, and basically trying to, um, you know, shed some light about really what these practices are about, no, and the role they can play in our contemporary society. Uh, and then thirdly, we also serve very much the community. And so, um, you know, we do a lot of legal defense through a program we set up, which is called the Ayahuasca Defense Fund. Uh, you know, we have been for the last four or five years uh, supporting people that go through either difficult experiences, uh, you know, with Ayahuasca, Iboga, or other traditional plants, um, or people who, you know, just need some support in integrating or, uh, you know, some more information because they're thinking about, um, you know, getting an experience with these plants. You know? So that's a bit the, the type of uh, work we've been doing. And we have been organizing also the, the World Ayahuasca Conference, uh, which is the largest ayahuasca conference. Uh, you know, the first one was done in Ibiza, the second one in Brazil, where we also really try to bring together the more indigenous and traditional voices that have been you know, utilizing ayahuasca for, for centuries uh, with more the, the international drug policy uh, environment. No? So uh, also in Ibiza, we brought together a lot of uh, lawyers who had been uh, defending cases, drug policy experts to really sit down all together about this uh, growing um, you know, um, practice in, in our society and how we can deal with the challenges that arise from that. Wow, that's a that's a big spread from helping people's experiences to the lawyers to help defend it. Yeah, yeah, we you know it's we're a multidisciplinary uh, team, uh, all with very different backgrounds, and we kind of try to really combine all of that um, experience and really also try to build network. No, so it's not just about us doing, but really to build community and you know trying to um, yeah figure out what directions we need to um, to move towards and how we can how we can achieve that. Excellent. And what, and what is your background that brought you to uh, this work and, and doing this? Well, I'm a filmmaker from uh, training. So I enrolled in film uh, school in Holland. Um, and in my second year, I read a small article about Ibogaine, uh, you know, one of the, the plants coming from, from Africa, which is used there in the Bwiti traditionally for probably, uh, you know, thousands of years. Uh, and then in the 60s was discovered to also be very useful in addiction treatment. So, you know, I got very interested. I thought if that's true, all that, the story around Iboga, then I have an interesting topic for my final exam project and basically started to make the film. And two and a half years later, I graduated with a documentary called Ibogaine Rite of Passage, um, and which had become kind of a, a reference worldwide, you know, to educate about uh, Ibogaine. And I got very involved in, in that whole Ibogaine movement. And it drew me away from, you know, my five years of uh, being a TV show editor and documentary editor to really, you know, dedicate my life to, um, to these traditional plants. That's wonderful. Can you see the film online now? Uh, yeah, the film is online. We have a YouTube uh, channel as well, which is youtube.com slash iSeers, I-C-E-E-R-S. Uh, and there, there's also fragments there that the film is online. And we just uh, released um, a documentary, which is a spin-off from that project, because I had 10 hours of uh, footage of the whole initiation in, in Gabon, where you see a, a woman being initiated during five-year um, you know, 
uh, or a five-day uh, process. Uh, so we made a 40-minute documentary really explaining and showing that whole initiation process in the Buiti, which is very inspiring because I think, you know, we can learn a lot also from the way they have incorporated the use of Iboga in, in their culture. Yes. Yeah, there's so much to learn from what's been done for so long. And what when you meet someone who's never heard of ayahuasca, how do you describe it to them? What language do you use? Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to, to describe what ayahuasca is because it's a different thing to different people, no? Um, to some, it's a sacrament that's really connecting them to the divine in their spiritual practice. To others, it's, it's a medicine. It's a, it's a plant medicine which helps people overcome uh, challenges in life, um, you know, with health or, you know, so with, with their relationships and, and so forth. So, so really a kind of a holistic way of dealing with, with life. Um, um, you know, to others, it's a tool to explore consciousness and, and kind of, you know, advance in, in the understanding of, um, of, of the universe, you know, and people's place in, in the world. So it's really many things. And one thing uh, which is an interesting description is it comes from Jacques Mabit, who's a French medical doctor who owns a center in Tarapoto. We've been dealing with uh, drug dependency for a long time. And he appeared in court, in a, um, a court case in Chile. And he said, you know, how do you ex explain life, what life is? No, life is so multifaceted, so it's very difficult to explain. He said, kind of, ayahuasca has many uh, yeah, facets to it as well and many different layers to it. But it, I think people generally, in, and we see that also in our studies, they, they come to ayahuasca because they're in search to improve something in their life, uh, you know, or they want to grow as human beings or kind of, you know, be connected to, to purpose in life. You know? very, very often when we lose kind of a sense of purpose to, you know, when people suffer and so forth, um, you know, the, the experiences with ayahuasca, what we are seeing is that they help connect people with their, their purpose, you know, and, and increase their quality of life. So, Generally, it's, it's not a pleasant experience um, very often. No? So people, you know, vomit often and they, you know, they can have diarrhea and, and really sometimes a very challenging experiences. But well contained in a ceremonial setting, um, you know, that very often can be turned into yeah, growth uh, experiences where people really can see things from a different no novel perspective that gives new tools to kind of then after the experience also integrate properly and make sure that they benefit from it in daily life. Uh, and we see also that the average age of people coming to ayahuasca is rather late, so over the 30s. 35 uh, seems to be kind of the average age of the volunteers that we get in our studies. Um, so it's, you know, it's where people in that moment in their life kind of have things more or less on track or they have, you know, they, they already um, walked parts of their life path and then come to ayahuasca to really, you know, deal with some aspect of it and, and improve their life. And some people have obviously also go in because they have pathologies, they have certain issues like depression, anxiety, you know, PTSD, um, complicated grief. And then also in our studies, we see that, they come to ayahuasca to really deal with that. So many different uses. And it, it makes sense because, I mean, according to your report, there's 5,000 different recipes for ayahuasca as well. So even the definition, I mean, in general, it's, it's two different plants mixed together, correct? But that can be many well, different ways. I, I, ayahuasca is really the, the name of one plant, which is a Bonisteropsis capi, you know, it's a vine. Uh, and that's really traditionally the central plant. So ayahuasca means that vine. And then the brew is also called ayahuasca after the vine. Uh, and with the vine, so there's also ayahuasca with just the vine. 
uh, and then you know other plants can be um, added to that um, uh, mixture and so generally there's a few uh, plants like uh, chacruna cicotria viridis uh, is the one mostly used and there's chacropanga as well which is another one used more in colombia and in the cipiba tradition as well um, so it's generally the mixture of those two plants but then there's many other admixtures and and there's a lot of rituals even around how it's being uh, cooked no so the, the diamond of the feitios where they ritually uh, cook uh, ayahuasca while they drink as, as well and you know they sing so put their their intentions in, into the brew so it's a very rich culture just only the preparation of the brew and it's important to take into account that when, when we talk about ayahuasca really generally we're not just talking about the substance no and um, in court we often see that prosecutors just reduce everything literally they extract one molecule DMT out of this very complicated uh, cultural practice where, you know, there's the, the chanting, there's the, um, you know, the Icaros in, in Peru that are used. There's a uh, energy work. There's a whole worldview around it. There's ceremony. Uh, you know, there's tobacco is a very important uh, plant as well as being used tobacco smoke, no, in, in terms of uh, protecting the, the space. So according to the United Nations, no, you have the, um, there were conventions that were signed by all the different um, uh, nations that are part of the UN. Uh, so one was in 1961, uh, which is the um, Convention on Narcotics Substances. Uh, and there, uh, there's, only th there's three plants included uh, in that list, no? and that's the opium poppy, the cannabis, and the coca uh, leaf. Uh, and then... Uh, in the 1971 Convention on, on Psychotropic uh, Substances, um, different molecules that are present in different plants are included, like DMT, like mescaline, and so forth, but the plants themselves are not illegal. And so the INCB, the International Narcotics Control Board, which is the body of the UN which looks at the, uh, the implementation of those uh, treaties uh, by the, the different um, uh, UN states, and they have written a, a letter, you know, to us for a court case we were defending in 2010, um, and as well in their reports that no plant or concoction that contains DMT is under international control. So wow. according to them, ayahuasca is not illegal, no? And they clearly separate uh, extracted, purified uh, DMT, so where you take out the molecule uh, out of the plants, uh, from concoctions uh, where plants are brewed and where just the naturally occurring DMT, you know, is, is present. Um, and so in, you know, the brewing of ayahuasca, of course, there's no chemicals involved in extracting DMT. So from the moment you would extract the molecule, then it becomes illegal. That's on UN level. So, of course, that's very confusing on a national level, you know, and in the court cases we see very often there's no specific law in that country. But it's, you know, the judge is kind of, um, you know, in, uh, confused about the fact that DMT is illegal and ayahuasca, which contains DMT, is not illegal. So, so that's very often, a, you know, an important de defense to really make them understand uh, why, you know, the, what the UN perspective is on, on these things and really, you know, going into that whole, um, uh, you know, way of, of understanding plant material uh, with naturally occurring molecules versus purified um, alkaloids. Uh, some countries, they have a specific law like France, where ayahuasca was made illegal in 2005. And there are some other countries as well. You know, some countries also then have, like the US, uh, they consider ayahuasca being illegal. But then there's some churches, uh, you know, the UDV uh, obtained um, a permit from the DA after a 10-year legal process to uh, legally use uh, ayahuasca in their 
uh, in their um, ritual uh, practice. Uh, and also Santo Daime in two states have, the, have the, an exemption. Now recently in Canada as well, there was uh, one church of the Santo Daime. So the Montreal, they achieved uh, after 15 years of battle legal status along with the UDV. So there's, you know, in different countries, it's, there's a different um, situation. Um, in Peru, for example, it's also culturally protected. And, um, you know, in those countries, also like in, in uh, Brazil, the church's religious use is legally protected. Um, we have uh, on our website of our Ayahuasca Defense Fund, we have a lot of information about legal uh, status on a national level and also international. So if people are interested in more information, I would advise to check the website, which is defendayahuasca.org. And then you go to the country by country section where every month we update new, add new countries. It's a great place for information. Um, do, you, do you have any favorite country where you think they have the best laws around ayahuasca? Um, I mean, you know, it's Peru, obviously, is the country where it's culturally protected and, and, and legally protected as well. Um, you know, so, um, I mean, of course, that sets an example. So we uh, organized in the, um, the Second World Ayahuasca Conference in Brazil, in Rio Branco, we did a whole meeting about uh, cultural patrimony protection. Um, there was a process in Brazil that was started many years ago, which the end didn't, uh, didn't work out to work towards cultural protection. So, for, so ideally, there's a recognition of, the, of the, the cultural value of these practices and then a legal protection of, of you know, the, the practices and, and then decriminalization of, of use. No? So we, in ICRS, we are anti-prohibitionists in beliefs. No? So pro prohibition, prohibitionist politics obviously has, have really failed. Uh, so the ideal country would kind of combine those um, three elements that makes sense um and now just to shift a little bit because it's also about science in your report um how do you describe the biochemical method of what's going on with ayahuasca um there's a you know it's a it's a complex mechanism uh and i'm not a scientist myself i have to say you know we we work with scientists and we have a scientific director who you know knows much more about that but to kind of simply explain it what happens is that the um, you know Two plants are boiled together, and so uh, now there's different alkaloids, active principles uh, present in that brew. Uh, one of them is DMT, dimethyltryptamine, uh, which uh, would be destroyed in the gut if you would uh, drink it orally. Um, and so the other alkaloids that are present, um, which are um, you know different Mao inhibitors, uh, so they inhibit the, the the activity of that enzyme the Mao enzyme in the gut that would de destroy DMT. So they temporarily, uh, in re uh, you know, they, they block that Mao in, uh, enzyme from working. So that allows the DMT to be really absorbed and to reach, um, you know, the blood and, and have its effects. But of course, it's, I, th I believe it's not that simple in that there's, you know, an entourage effect going on and that there's really, you know, a synergy between the different um, alkaloids present in the plant. Uh, and then, you know, the, when people are under the effect of ayahuasca, the, the experiences last several hours. Um, uh, sometimes people have, you know, one intake or sometimes a, a few uh, cups over the night. Uh, so ceremonies tend to be, you know, three, four, five, six hours and longer. Uh, and, and it really induces a kind of introspective state very much where, you know, in the Peruvian settings, for example, there's no light. People really are, you know, in total darkness and have an inward experience with eyes closed. 
Um, and so generally people always know that where they are, that they ingested uh, ayahuasca, so they don't really touch that sense. Um, and then, you know, really have their inward journey, you know, and there's, it's a visionary face with a lot of emotional charge to the, the visions. Um, sometimes people are confronted with their fears, which they then, you know, need to overcome or, uh, or face in, in the experience. Um, experiences can be very different to different people in different settings and, and moments, no? So sometimes in the same experience or in the same ritual, there's somebody who with the same ayahuasca, with the same amount has a very, um, you know, strong experience while the other one has a very light experience. So it's really depends very much on the set and setting, of course. Um, and really, you know, there's, I mean, everybody's different, no? So it's very difficult to kind of describe the type of experience it, um, it induces. But yeah, generally what's, what can be said is that there's a lot of emotional um, um, stuff moving and linked to, to visions that people have. And also it's very somatic. So people generally when they throw up, they kind of release, you know, somatic um, tension or things that have caused pain uh, physiologically that might be linked to, uh, to emotions. So there's a lot moving on all um, kind of dimensions, but spiritually, physically, and, uh, you know, mentally. Um, it generally leaves people, uh, you know, impacts people's lives and, and really, you know, it's very often becomes an important um, experience to them. Um, and so, and kind of, you know, as I said before, sharing or providing new perspectives on, on their lives and, uh, yeah, the being the kind of the connection with uh, the universe, with nature and with themselves. Wow. It, it makes a lot of sense. So one of the great things about your report, all of those imaging studies of the brain and all the different places that things are going on. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much this, this plant uh, admixture does. And you also collect yeah. a lot of great work about the long-term mental health and physical pain improvement from ayahuasca. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe some, uh, how that uh, collaborates what you've seen in your own life. Just people. Okay. I mean, it seems like a lot of studies saying people getting better in all of these different ways. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's important to know that in terms of the science that's available with ayahuasca, there's quite a lot of science into uh, more of the, you know how does it work in the body and uh, you know psychologically, uh, what are the risks you know on for example blood pressure and heart rate and, and all of those things. Uh, so there's quite a lot of science that was done about that. And the conclusions of that, which is also a conclusion of the, the report, is that ayahuasca is um, you know, um, an acceptable psychological and physio physiological uh, safety profile. Uh, and then on top of that, there's science into um, you know, more of the, the therapeutic effects no? and, and the effects on quality of life. Uh, and indeed, there's been studies, uh, one that was done, um, you know, the principal researcher was uh, Jose Carlos Boso, our scientific uh, director, who um, looked at uh, quite a big sample in Brazil of people who were drinking ayahuasca for, I think it was 15 years, uh, about two times a month in their um, diamond practice, and then compared it with a control group, no? and then replicated it uh, one year later. And indeed, they're lo looking at quality of life, uh, which is improved, and it, that's something we're kind of generally are seeing in our in our studies. Um, and even there also, there were some cognitive functions uh, that were increasing. Uh, what is important to note is that 
you know, of course, people have been drinking ayahuasca for 15 years. Um, there might have been dropouts in the way. People who started with the daimi and then ev eventually abandoned their practice. So then after that, we started to research also more people from before the first time they drink ayahuasca and doing a follow-up. And one of the studies now we have in, in the Temple of the Way of Light, there's, um, I think, about 64% uh, so far of the sample that are first-time drinkers. So also that's going to tell us a lot, a lot about... Um, you know, how people evolve from the first time they drink ayahuasca. No? Um, but indeed, you know, we're seeing very much uh, also the way people kind of deal with, with their problems, no? And quality of life also very often depends on how you kind of deal with the, the issues that are going on in your life. No? Somebody might have the same problems than you and, and that person is quite happy or seems to have a good quality of life and you're suffering very much. Uh, for, from the same issue. So it's also kind of shifting perspectives on how to relate to all of those uh, those issues. I think, you know, it's, it's also something that we're seeing very much. And then now, of course, even more of um, the studies uh, with pathologies, you know, like depression, there's now a first one that was done in, in Brazil, which is uh, still um, going to publication. It was presented uh, in our last conference, where a double-blind placebo-controlled um, study was done in people with depression, and showing that you know ayahuasca is more efficient than the placebo uh, effect, uh, which is an important effect always in in, in research. No, so um, but I think from in terms of looking into the the therapeutic benefits of ayahuasca, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg, and I think there's a lot to to discover. Uh, also, of course, new studies into uh, neurogenesis that's created by the, the harmines uh, in, in the, the ayahuasca vine. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that might kind of unlock a whole new potential for investigation in you know, reversing kind of neurodegenerative um, uh, diseases or things related to memory. So, yeah, yeah. We, we still have to do a lot of research to really... Um, you know, understand really the full therapeutic um, benefits of, of ayahuasca. But what we're seeing in, in kind of the groups who have their spiritual practice or, uh, you know, in churches that are using ayahuasca or people that are going through more the shamanic um, settings, um, you know, we're seeing in the observational research that there is an um, important increase in quality of life. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. I actually was just reading the paper from some of your researchers about ayahuasca causing neurogenesis, which is a wild idea that this is growing new brain cells, which would help for depression. And it, it kind of speaks to how inadequate it must feel in some ways to be using all of this reductionist, peer-reviewed science applied to ayahuasca when it, it's helpful, but it can never really capture the whole thing. The stories I've heard from people's healings from ayahuasca is so much more convincing than the science, but the science has to be done. Hmm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think science is very important because, uh, you know, one thing is like a case study where you see one person and you're the story, the anecdotal evidence is very important as well, no? Because it gives us a sense of what's going on. Um, but I think, you know, from when you start saying, you know, ayahuasca can help with cancer or with different things, it's also dangerous because you can give people false expectations uh, when they're, you know, in need, you know, and nothing worked or they are, you know, really scared sometimes going to that with certain expectations. It might just be, um, you know, a few a few cases that were recorded. That doesn't mean that that really works for everybody, you know. So I think as we kind of um, promote uh, ayahuasca as, um, you know, tools for uh, therapeutic um, uh, use, you know, for different pathologies, 
I think that that's where science is really important. And then on the other hand, also kind of more science into safety and, and you know, looking into the reality, also observational research, I think is important because it gives us more a sense of the reality of use. Um, and also how can we, if we uh, see, you know, um, negative outcomes, how, what can we learn from that? No, And that's also something we try to do in our, our research. Like really, if there's somebody who, had a um, you know a difficult challenging experience which was maybe not fully uh, properly integrated and you know had some negative impact you know why did that happen what were the f- the factors that played and how can we you know make things safer in the future so uh, so um, but yeah i mean the, the richness of just the ex- the human experiences and and as a filmmaker of course when i made my film on on niboga for example i i spent time next to the bed of several people uh, you know some of them had uh, dependency for over 20 years with uh, opiates and, and other drugs and then seeing what they, what type of process they went through and, and the way they were talking the next day and you know everything that was kind of coming up uh, in their lives and emotionally that was you know it was so um, convincing and, and and it seemed so important to me that, and that was really what led me to starting ICERS, no? It was not personal experience. I, I mean, I have personal experience, but it came a few years later. But initially, it was just observing people going through these, uh, you know, very profound processes catalyzed by these plants. Uh, and and just seeing that, you know, f- uh, with a camera was, was an amazing experience. And, wow. So the story convinced you more than the science. Well, I think your, I mean, your films are as important as a whole pile of peer-reviewed evidence for making people understand why this is important yeah i think you know they're complementary you know so and there's also of course qualitative research and quantitative research so i think you know all of that plays an important role um you know the the double blind placebo controlled clinical trials they're important no to advance things but you know i think there's more to the story than that no And, and so that's where the qualitative research plays a role and that's where you know, filmmaking uh, plays a role in, in really showing those um, human experiences. Um, and, 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 you know, just, just seeing the human experiences from the front row uh, as a filmmaker and then pre- presenting my film. I remember one day where I screened my film being, you know, I was 25, uh, you know, showing my, my film to 500 women kind of, you know, um, middle upper class women of 50 plus, quite conservative audience. And they would see the film and then get angry almost at the end, saying, "Why is there not much research into this, and why is this not made uh, available?" And I was wondering, what, you know, why is that? Because at the end, we're talking about a, a plant which alters consciousness. You know, it's a psychedelic plant. Uh, it comes from this very weird tradition in Gabon, where people, you know, paint their faces and all of that, which can be scary to an audience that doesn't really understand very much of, the, of that culture. Uh, but what really triggered them was the human experiences that they saw a father with a was you know losing his daughter who was 16 on severe heroin and, and crack addiction you know destructured the family and then you know through ibogaine you know needing to do something illegal even because in the US ibogaine is illegal to kind of help the the daughter you know who was now over overcame that whole um, um, you know phase in her life so just the audience seeing that and, and relating to that was just was so powerful in them. So, you know, that for me, seeing that happen was something that really led me to then start ICS initially as an educational organization, trying to bring, bring closer the scientific facts and the human experiences to, to people. That's an excellent path. It's an excellent combination. 
Um, and that's and that's one question I want to ask. You mentioned briefly. Uh, I wanted to ask about harm reduction. What when people ask, what groups of people uh, when they ask you should be cautious about ingesting ayahuasca, and are there any conditions where people shouldn't be taking it at all? Yeah, I mean, like any very powerful tool, uh, you know, ayahuasca is um, is a very powerful one, and it can be used on one hand constructively and, and in a responsible setting, and on the other hand, it can also be used uh, problematically and, and cause damage. No? So on one hand, the setting, uh, you know, where you are going for your experience is very, very important. Um, there's a lot of uh, information that's kind of misleading, and, and so people really need to do, do their research. You know, that would be my first um, advice. Do your research and really do your due diligence. Not really look at um, places where, if you're going to do it, that you you know ask the right questions and, and really um, yeah assess um, you know what, if it's a responsible uh, setting to have your experience. And then on the other hand, there's uh, important exclusion criteria as well. You know, people with psychotic um, uh, history or uh, with personality disorders. Uh, you know, you know, they they're, they can be vulnerable to having that psychotic episode re-triggered or uh, you know, different difficult. Um, you know, it can be really dis- dis- destructing their their personality further. No, so there are mental disorders that are excluded, um, and also I think it's important when people. Uh, consider having an ayahuasca or any bog experience to, um, you know, have a have a, an environment where they afterwards uh, can be supported. So in case it's a challenging experience where they are faced with, you know, different aspects of themselves or their lives, uh, that they can really, um, you know, find s- support and are not just alone uh, after that. No? So also the social context. Uh, if you compare it to the traditional um you know, more, uh, I mean, the, the countries of origin with the cultures where these plants are fully integrated, they're just living in that community is that support, no? And is that inter- integration. But in our society, very often it's stigmatized, it's taboo. So sometimes people have their experiences and then afterwards have nobody to really share the experience or find support if they, if they need it. So I think also that's, that's very important to have, to have in place. Yeah, and then you know, physiological. As I said, ayahuasca is relatively safe. You know, you know, if you have severe heart conditions, I would not, uh, you know, go for ayahuasca. You you cannot combine it with certain medication uh, because there's a risk for serotonin syndrome. So if you're taking medication, also do your research, um, and, and you know, and just understand that ayahuasca can be a very life changing experience. It can be really have a big impact in one's life. So people really should be ready for that. No? And uh, sometimes you hear people say, well, ayahuasca was great for myself, you know, for me, and I think you, it would be good for you as well. Why don't you do, drink ayahuasca? I think that's not, you know, it's not good to in, invite people to, to do that and say and project something that worked for yourself to other people. And the choice should really come from them, no? And and uh, really based on a full understanding of what it is they're going getting, you know, involved with, and and where they are in life, if it's a good moment for them to to really go for an, an ayahuasca or an iboga experience. And any iboga physiologically is more uh, risky, no? It's, uh, it's it produces a um, um, bradycardia, so it lowers the heart rate and prolongs the the QT interval, which is the repolarization of the heart. So there are people with heart issues, they cannot um, take ibogaine. Uh, and there's, you know, some more um, exclusion criteria that really should be taken into account if you're going to do iboga. 
Yeah. And, and more so for addiction treatment, no? where there's a lot of other chemicals involved and detoxification is kind of a, a, a difficult uh, thing to do. Yeah. I, I, have, I have some friends in the scene around here and the thing they say is if you have a practitioner uh, needs to know how to use cardiac paddles, you know, one, he said one time out of a hundred, you're going to have a heart incident, especially with vulnerable populations whose heart might have been stressed by many years of, of drug abuse. And don't go with someone who is downplaying the risk to somebody's heart with Ibogaine specifically. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and and that's where we as a community need to, you know, organize and, and kind of make sure that the minimum safety standards are, are um, you know, raised. No, there's, it's a new field, really. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of empirical uh, knowledge that people have generated over the years and, and providers who had more incidents in the past have now way less or, or none. And that's all based on learning no? and, and also making mistakes. Um, but collectively, I think we have learned a lot. Um, still, there's, you know, people who kind of underestimate uh, the difficulty of working, you know, doing addiction treatment um, and then, you know, just start working with the Iboga and they're really not prepared to do so. So I think also education, I mean, you know, compare generally psychedelics are a substance that people take, you know, they get a substance, maybe they have a sitter, they, you know, they, they take psychedelics. In this case, very generally we see that people go to a ceremony, they go to a facilitator, you no, know, it's a shaman or it's a therapeutic center. So there's a whole other thing that becomes involved because you now put your life in the hands of somebody else, you no? Know? And so what's, what are the skills of that person? Um, you know, the, does that person really have the knowledge to, to lead you through that experience? And so there's important due diligence that people really have to do when they, you know, put their lives in, in the hands of somebody else. Um, yeah, you are responsible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much for, for sharing and for your work on education. Before we let you go, I just wanted to ask uh, what projects uh, you have going on right now that are most exciting. And for the people listening at home that want to follow more about your work or want to support it financially or with their time, what would you recommend? Uh, yeah, so on one hand, we, in, you know, as I said, we have the Ayahuasca Defense Fund, which is a program that's always ongoing. We have, you know, we're going to release uh, next month an um, annual report from the first year since it was officially established, the Ayahuasca Defense Fund. Um, so that's a program that always uh, requires, uh, you know, funding to continue working with, with cases worldwide. Uh, so if people want to support that, they can go to defendayahuasca.org and, um, and do a donation there and, and also read more about the, the work we're doing, uh, which is not just legal defense. It's not just ayahuasca. It's also, you know, most of the cases that come in are related to ayahuasca, but we have uh, one, one case also around mambe, the traditional coca leaf, um, you know, preparation that is made in, in Colombia, uh, which, you know, is illegal. Unfortunately, uh, coca is a very stigmatized and illegal plant. So, you know, we've defended cases around that peyote, San Pedro as well, Iboga. Uh, so that's one of the, the big programs we have now where we edu both educate about uh, legal legality of these practices worldwide and also then support and work with uh, people who are prosecuted and, and really try to kind of shift the, the challenge of being in that situation to also an opportunity to really educate the uh, uh, judges and prosecutors and authorities uh, about what they really have at hand. No? Um, so that's one one big um, uh, program we have. Um, you know, then we're developing some some other lines of work. Um, you know, but they are 
kind of still in a more initial phase, uh, you know, around the community model, which we are, we are working on. Um, you know, also we've been doing uh, kind of workshops, you know, with community to really assess, um, you know, what does uh, legal harm reduction look like, you know, best practices uh, and, and so forth. So we, we work a lot also with community, um, you know, to, to collectively kind of explore the challenges that are currently arising and how we push that forward. Uh, and then we have several scientific research programs you know, that, that we are doing. Uh, we're working on uh, one ibogaine study that we, we want to do. Uh, we have a few projects that are ongoing. As I said, the uh, um, observational uh, research project at the Temple of Way of Light, where I think by now we have about 600 people are enrolled, so it's quite a, it's a big study. Um, and yeah, then, you know, we've been this year really kind of, you know, slowing down a bit to then accelerate again and, and really, you know, having a, an in-depth look at the structure of ICOs that, you know, the, the way we uh, kind of are organized and the directions we're taking to really kind of crystallize that out after, you know, the first years of, of growth that we have. We're still a small foundation. Um, so, so yeah, we're, we're also at this point looking very much for core support for the organization, uh, which allows us to, you know, have a solid basis to kind of uh, build on. And then also the, the next big conference uh, to expect um, is going to be the, the World Ayahuasca Conference in 2019, we are now looking into. Um, and, you know, we're looking still at the, the place. So I think also in a few months we'll be ready to announce where that's going to happen. So also would invite everybody to, you know, join us. Um, the last two editions were really fascinating. No? And in Brazil, we had like 170 indigenous uh, participants. It was very multicultural and, and really also, you know, for me, a very rich uh, professional experience is just to learn from their perspectives, their their needs, their worries, uh, you know, their wisdom as well. And then kind of, you know, how that fits more in the global picture around ayahuasca globalization. That's beautiful. So, so yeah, these are a few, you know, projects. Uh, we have some more smaller things ongoing. We also do some work around cannabis uh, in Catalonia, you know, we have the Cannabis Social Club model. Uh, uh, so we are very active here as well in, um, you know, advocacy and, and kind of uh, more the um, yeah, drug policy reform work. No? That's good. Mm. Yeah, it seems like Spain has the, uh, the most sane model for cannabis going on. Actually. Yeah, it's a very it's a very interesting model because it's a non-profit user, private user association model. Uh, and now with the Catalan parliament just voted, uh, I think, 118 votes of the 129 uh, in favor of fully regulating the model. Um, and it, so it is, a, in a way, a community model, no? which is based on you becoming a member. And it's, uh, it's not uh, kind of, you know, more the capitalist model of, of um, making those, um, you know, making cannabis uh, available. Uh, so um, yeah, it's it's a very interesting reality. We're very close to it, and you know we've been uh, we did the Canapmet conference as well here in in Catalonia, uh, bringing together uh, patients who are using uh, you know cannabis. So you know this model kind of also allows those people to have access to cannabis in moments where there's no official uh, medical cannabis program um, available, which we hope is going to change in the near future. Uh, so it's it's an interesting reality, along with the fact that drug use and possession of um, of you know quantities for personal use is decriminalized here in Spain, like in Portugal. Every, everybody knows about Portugal, but um, you know here it's really never been criminalized. 
Uh, and so, you know, and then there's something called the collective purchase or uh, collective use. So where groups of users together can, you know, have a collective supply and then so that would not be considered drug trafficking, but just personal use in a shared, in a community way, no? So there's a few interesting bases at, at drug policy here in, in Spain, and there's a very active civil society. So, um, you know, it's good. It's a good environment to be in and kind of think about improving drug policy uh, away from prohibition and, uh, and law enforcement approaches. Excellent. So for everyone listening out there, you hear this is excellent work. If you go to an ayahuasca ceremony a couple times a year and spend a couple hundred dollars on that, you can afford to send some money to ICERS and the Ayahuasca Defense Fund uh, to support this work. It, it, Benjamin DeLunan, thank you so much for your work and for taking the time to talk to us. It's very appreciated. Thank you so much. And if people need information also, if they're thinking about having an experience with ayahuasca iboga, on our website, ICERS.org, there's a lot of information, both for people seeking experiences as for their relatives as well, and understanding better, you know, why their relatives are doing ayahuasca and everything that comes with it. So there's, I think there's a lot of valuable information that people can find useful. Talk to your family about plant medicines. <laughs> yep. All right. Thank you so much, Lex. <laughs> thank you.